Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the 374th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Dr. Michael Livingston, professor of English at the Citadel, who is going to talk to us about the Battle of Brunnenburg. The history buff for today's show is Terry Toffler. The show's theme song is Kayla's theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zapzaptel. Our producer and engineer is, as always, Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of our show, which is called Farouk Dinarin, and today we'll be talking about the Battle of Brunnenburg with Dr. Michael Livingston, professor of English at the Citadel. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on the events that lead up to the Battle of Brunnenburg? Yeah, I certainly can. Uh, so we're going to take, what, like five hours for that? Right, uh, right. <laughs> okay. This um, is part two from the first show. Right. <laughs> so the Battle of Brunnenburg happens in 937, um, probably in October, probably in early October. Uh, and it's many people regard it as the battle that uh, gave birth to England, or at least gave birth to Englishness. Uh, in the sense of kind of like a national identity. Uh, what you have is multiple kings of rival kingdoms, the king of Scotland, uh, the king of Strathclyde, uh, and the king of uh, Norse Dublin, a, a great Viking king, uh, all get together. They've all got beefs with the English, and in particular with King Athelstan, who was then uh, the king of England. And they, they all get together. Uh, clearly, they come to some kind of agreement. They, they previously had been at each other's throats as well. I mean, these are kings who, you know, had been willing to kill each other uh, just months earlier and are now setting everything aside to say, let's kill Athelstan. Let's destroy the English. Let's wipe them off the map. We've had it. We're getting rid of them. And uh, what ends up happening is this grand alliance, comes ashore, uh, they come on ships, uh, crossing the Irish Sea, the, from Dublin, of course, uh, and then the uh, Strathclyde, uh, people from Strathclyde and people from Scotland coming down from the north, and they meet Athelstan in battle at a place called Brunanburh. Uh It has some other names. Uh, none of these are names that you can find on a map today. Right. And so one of the great uh, mysteries about the Battle of Brunanburh has always been, uh, you know, where is it? And everybody who has uh, lives in a place with a B and an R and an N in it um, thinks it's in their backyard. Um, they're, they're like, I, I live on the side of Battle Brunnenberg because I have a B, an R, and an N in, in my backyard. Uh, and, and to some degree, they've all kind of had a legitimate claim, I suppose, because you couldn't say where it was. So, uh, So it's long been famous for this. There are dozens of locations that have been put forward. Um, and uh, Athelstan wins the battle, uh, wins the battle, and everybody kind of has to go home and lick their wounds. Um, and this really achieves a sense of, of kind of national, um, national pride, national myth. Uh, Brunenberg is widely regarded as the battle that made 
England. We just wish we knew where the hell it was. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, wow. Uh, that was kind of like my thesis paper when I graduated. I published do what I want to read. Um, back to track here. Um, uh, Assistan, you said, defeated the Vikings at York in 927. So uh, was that a more concrete, documented uh, victory before it led to the later battle? And could you please um, kind of give our listeners uh, the borders? Now, we, we pretty much take for granted Scotland is probably what it is. But how large are these kingdoms in the modern U.K. in today's world? Uh, so let me start with that second question, and then hopefully I'll remember the first question. If not, you can remind me. The question of borders is uh, tremendously difficult to figure out. Uh, the problem is that, that they didn't think of borders the way that we do. Um, okay. Borders were um, more like kind of gray zones of frontier. And so who controlled what area sort of de- almost like depended on, you know, this month. Uh, now, by and large, you had uh, obviously Scotland is up in Scotland area-ish. Um, Strathclyde uh, would be, if you're looking at a map of England, down into the left a little bit from that. And then down to the right of that, you had uh, in, in what we would now call uh, Eastern Northumbria, and then down from there, uh, centered on York, a Viking kingdom. Uh, now that Viking kingdom, as you said, in 927, Athelstan takes that over. Uh, exactly how he took it over, there's two theories. Um, we know that the king there died, and it's right after that Athelstan takes over. So he's clearly taken advantage of a, uh, a kind of the chaos of a succession. Um, there is some possibility that he actually uh, doesn't get there quite quick enough, and there is another Viking king who... Who, uh, who who takes control that he then has to kick out. Um, I kind of actually don't think that that's the case, but some scholars think that that may have happened. Uh, but yes, in 927, Athelstan takes over in York, and that's one of the reasons that, that the Vikings are mad at him. They're like, well, that's, that's ours. Um, and in fact, the Viking leader who will ultimately uh, meet him in battle at Brunenburg is the son of the guy who uh, ought to have been the king in York in 927, who gets, who gets kind of kicked out. Um, so he's got like a family grudge, clearly. Um, but the Vikings, you know, if you go back far enough, back to Alfred the Great's time, uh, who is, that Alfred the Great is uh, Athelstan's grandfather. Uh, in Alfred the Great's time, they had split England uh, after his kind of momentous victories over the Vikings, uh, everybody likes to kind of think, oh, well, he then saved England. Well, uh, he also sold off half of it because he drew a line as a boundary with the Vikings that runs uh, the Roman road Watling Street, which uh, if you were to imagine a map of, of England, runs more or less from London, uh, northwest, um, up, up close kind of to Chester. So it was just a big diagonal line. And he was like, everything north of that, that, that that's y'all's. You, you get to have that, Vikings. Uh, <laughs> just don't bother us on this side. Uh, so they also had a claim to kind of 
not just uh, York to be angry that that had been taken, but in a very real sense, they could claim, you know, the English have broken the treaty with us that should give us all of that territory. And when they're coming to battle at Brunenburg, I, you know, I feel that that's one of the big things that the Vikings are after. They want to reestablish that agreed upon border with Alfred the Great that the English had, had, had broken for all these, all these decades. All right. Um, so Michael, then the, the, uh, there, there's always family intrigue here. Um, you know, I seem to remember that, that we have, um, some of, uh, Ethelston's, um, daughters being married off to various and sundry Kings in this whole mess. Um, and, uh, you know, various elements of, of, uh, of claims. So my question is more practical when one goes hunting for the site of a historic event, how can one begin to establish a, a reasonable claim that something happened here instead of there? Yeah, so this is what, what brings me to Brunenberg, is, is I, I wanted to find it. Um, and I've got kind of like a thing for trying to find battles. And uh, in the case of Brunenberg, to me, when you, you, you have to first kind of like boil everything down, what are the most basic facts that we have? the ones that we can rely on, not assumption about, uh, you know, what was uh, one person's aim or something like that, which none of these people left us like, you know, their notes or anything. So uh, everything is guesstimate when it comes to, you know, what their target was or anything like that. Nobody says. So when we boil it all down, what we have are place names. We have that the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle in a, uh, in its accounts, including a, uh, a, a rather famous and extraordinarily beautiful 73-line poem called The Battle of Brunnenberg. Um, calls the place Brunnenberg. So, okay, we have a, a place name, Brunnenberg. When you look across all of the sources, we actually find more names. Um, it's called Brunnenwerk in a few places. It's called uh, Brun, without the burr. It's called Brunford. Uh, we have an Old Norse uh, saga. It's part of what's called Egil's saga, uh, which is one of the most famous of the uh, Norse sagas, and, and to my mind, the best of them. Uh, has a whole battle in it that we think is at least partially based on Brunnenberg. Uh, there, the site is called Vinheath. Uh, other chronicles called Windun. I mean, there's a whole bunch of these names. So the, the kind of key piece of information for us is to find a place that fits those names, right? Names, place names generally have a meaning. And if we can find a place that fits all of these meanings, kind of like a, uh, like a Venn diagram of, of uh, geography, right? You know, that we need it to have this and this and this. If you can find that sweet spot, then, then you're in a pretty good spot. The other thing we, we can do uh, is in terms of linguistics, Say, for instance, the word Brunnenberg itself. That's an Old English word. Well, we can actually trace what that word would become in modern English. Like, as the language sort of develops and words change, we know enough about linguistics to, to run the tape forward and see what Brunnenberg 
Like, what should it look like, you know, moving up to today? And in the case of Brunnenberg, it actually shows up. Uh, it, it turns out to be a name that actually is on our maps, uh, which is a place called Bromborough, uh, which is on the Wirral Peninsula. So directly across the Mersey River from Liverpool, uh, there is a place, Bromborough. And if you, you know, run the tape backwards to Old English, you'll get Brunnenberg. So that's a pretty good starting place. Okay. Okay. Uh, question. Um, Jay and I, and obviously you, have studied a lot of classic battles. And in the wonderful folklore, they have five people show up at the Army, and it turns out to be written down as 500,000. Do they have any estimate of the actual numbers that possibly could have taken in this battle? Uh, I mean, I've been to York, and it's a marvelous town. And it's a pretty well-documented historical town, isn't they? I thought they did the best they could. Do we have any clue what the numbers were of the armies? So, again, always yes and no. Um, <laughs> I'm good at those. The sources, <laughs> the sources don't generally give us numbers, and when they do, they are often really off. Uh, so William of Malmesbury, who's a 12th century chronicler, um, he says that there were 100,000 men there. Well, there were definitely not 100,000 men there. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent um, yeah, off. Um, could there have been 10,000 men? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. That's probably a little bit on the high side, but, but maybe. I would estimate that, that it's probably around 8,000 men uh, that, the, uh, that the Allies bring against the English and about that many men that the English meet them with. Uh, the way I kind of run those numbers is uh, we have reports of how many ships are brought. Now, I think that that report is an error. Uh, it says 615. Um, I don't think there were 615 ships, but the idea is it was a very large number, larger than any other fleet. Well, well, we have good sizes for the other fleets, so you can make it larger and get an estimate about how many men can fit on a ship. You can do the math that way. Uh, the other way to do it is once you start to focus in on a battle site. Now, obviously, you you've made some assumptions to get to. You know, I think the battle happened here. But once you do that, you can then uh, backtrack the numbers from the topography. How many men can actually bloody well fit here, right? You know, I mean, a a human being takes up a certain amount of space put them in a shield wall, and that means I take up this much amount of space. So how big, how big a line can I fit? Um, and let me see what those numbers are. So when you kind of run all those various calculations, uh, again, I would say like a maximum 10,000, but probably a couple, you know, maybe a few thousand less than that. So okay. certainly not as big as they would later say it is. Uh, but that's pretty common. I mean, you know. Right. The Persians did not bring one million men right. uh, against the Greeks at Thermopylae. Right. It doesn't work. Yeah, who only had 10,000, yes. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned with us for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KLA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. KALA 88.1 FM. 
88.5 FM, the radio station with the most diversity in the Quad City region. Jazz, blues, R&B, hip-hop, Spanish and Hispanic programming, gospel, new rock, oldies, news, and shows addressing local community issues, and the world's best in entertainment and news from Public Radio International. Here's something different on KALA 88.5 FM, the most diverse radio station in the Quad City region. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the second segment of our show, which is referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Michael Livingston, professor of English at the Citadel, and we're talking about the Battle of Brunaburg. The history buff for today's show is Terry Toplin. Terry, why don't you start, start us off, please? Thank you. Yes, Dr. Livingston, I want to talk a little bit more about the site of the battle, uh, being as it is unknown. Obviously, many people have been looking for it, and it's a, quite a mystery. I read that there were over 40 locations as possibilities the most recent one that I read was in 2019, maybe the Wirral Peninsula. I may be mispronouncing that. It's W-I-R-R-A-L. So my question is twofold. First, looking at the name of uh, Brunnenburg, uh, being an old English name, you know, what does Brun mean? What does Burr mean? And then if we were to narrow it down to a specific site, what would you hope to affirm that this is the place? Like, would you be looking for certain types of artifacts? Uh, so wonderful questions, Terry. Um, let me start with uh, with the, with what Brunnenberg means. Um, so, you know, kind of, what are we looking for? Um, a burr is an, an old English word for a fortified place. So, this could be um, anything from a, a really large, you know, fortified kind of town um, to just simply a uh, you know, almost like a, like a manor house, you know, just some place where you could fortify yourself. Uh, you know, it could just be wooden walls and a trench, and that could be a burr uh, given, the, given the area. Uh, the first part of the word, Brunen, uh, that is one of two things in Old English. It is either um, a guy's name, Bruna, or the name of a river, Brun. So it's either the whole word put together is the burr of Bruna, so Bruna's burr, or it is the burr next to the river uh, burn. It's one of those two things. Uh, and at this point, there's actually really kind of no way to know which of those it is. To some degree, it really doesn't matter because grammatically, linguistically, they more or less are treated the same. Uh, but it's going to be one of those two things. The amount of locations we've had has been uh, uh, part of that is because people want to sort of, you know, squint at, at the words and, and make it, you know, well, that's close to, you know, Burnley. So Burnley's good enough. Um, well, that's not good enough in linguistic terms. In linguistic terms, languages kind of work a certain way. And so the only site that there is on our modern maps that comes from the old English word Brunnenburg is the modern town of Bromborough. 
which is on the Wirral Peninsula, as you said. So that is definitely the leading candidate because it's the only modern Brunenburg we have. Now, as I tell people, look, that that doesn't mean it is uh, the Brunenburg. It, it could be that there were you know multiple places with this name, right? There's there's multiple Springfields in America, as the Simpsons show likes to make fun of. <laughs> uh, so it could be multiple places, but it is a Brunenburg. So the question then is, how can we tell if it is if it is the Brunenburg? As you said, uh, what sort of things would we we'd be looking for? Well, obviously, does that area fit the other names that we have for the battle? Um, in the case of of Bromborough, uh, uh, yes, it does. There is a site that uh, you know that you can locate that that fits the Venn diagram of all of those names and is right there next to Bromborough. Um, so that's all looking really good. Does it fit what little we get about uh, what the the how the battle proceeded, which isn't a lot. Uh, there's not a lot of you know, specific uh, directions that we get about what the armies did, but of what we got, does it fit? Again, the answer there is yes. So then you start getting to the questions of, well, can we confirm it? And that's going to rely on archaeology. Can we find the archaeological evidence in the ground that, yes, a major battle was fought here? Now, again, of course, in historical terms, we always try and be skeptical. Even if we found that, well, now we've just proved that there was a battle that happens to be out of place, that happens to have a, right? You know, I mean, at a certain point, the probabilities get kind of silly. You know, this has to be it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the race is on right now, is to, is to find the artifacts that would confirm this is where the battle happened. Um, the unfortunate problem there is uh, a lot of things are areas where people don't want you to dig. Uh, you know, please don't disturb my garden. Um, or uh, we also have problems with the fact that the soil does not always preserve everything. And battles don't always leave the kinds of uh, marks upon the landscape that, um, that are easy to kind of spot. You know, it's not like, well, you should dig next to the wall. I mean, there's no wall, but it's in the middle of nowhere. So what you have to do is kind of systematically send out the metal detectors and hope that you get hits on iron uh, arrowheads or or buckles, uh, you know, the kind of things that you can expect to find at a 10th century battle site, axe heads, things like that. Okay. Uh, A question with uh, Brunenburg, of course, they said this is obviously a defining moment in English history. Uh, but then down the road, the Battle of Hastings uh, definitely happens. And uh, could you, how do you, how do the two tie in together? If you could explain that to our listeners, please. Oh, I'd love to. I would love to. Because Hastings is so much fun. Um, I've actually got a book coming out in November uh, on the Battle of Hastings. Uh, so this took place in Nebraska, right? <laughs> yeah, Stop yeah, that's right. So, uh, so this is actually a book that's a uh, a guidebook, as it were, to the battle. So, you know, take me the reader through the landscape today, and trying to explain what happened back then. Uh, you know, 1066 is so absolutely famous uh, when William the Conqueror 
uh, defeats Harold uh, Harold Godwinson, King Harold II of England, uh, and uh, changes the English language forever uh, by introducing you know French pronunciations and French words and French structures uh, to Old English. Uh, changes you know, the law code, changes the social landscape, changes so very much um, about English history. Uh, as I tell my students, it's one of three years uh, that you should know uh, to, to consider yourself uh, a fairly educated person. And, and I say really, I mean, four would be better. Uh, but you should definitely know 1066. You should know 1492. Uh, because I teach at the Citadel, which is a military school in America, 1776. Um, and then the other year, of course, is my birthday. And, um, and by that's and large, the most important of the whole bunch, right? right. right. <laughs> that's, that's right. So, uh, so yeah, what, what ties Hastings to Brunenberg is that if it's not for Brunenberg, there is no England uh, for William to come and conquer. Um, this really is a kind of fascinating moment in history that you get that, that Brunenberg solidifies what it means to be English. It's, it, it, it unites the realm truly for the first time, the English kingdom. You have an England that we would recognize today. Now it, it for the next, uh, you know, hundred and, uh, and 30 years, it's going to kind of, you know, the, the borders are going to kick around back and forth as borders do in the middle ages. But by and large, he established what would be recognizably England, and that's exactly what William is coming for. It's why he's coming for it, because it is England, and that, that's Athelstan. He's the one that does that. You know, we, we may kind of uh, remember in the popular history, in the popular mindset, Alfred the Great as this, as this amazing figure, uh, but Athelstan does far more to sort of establish this idea of England and to give uh, a rationale for somebody uh, to be willing, in fact, two kings in 1066 to be willing to bring armies across the sea because just, you know, a couple weeks before Hastings, uh, poor Harold Godwinson, the King of England has to rush all the way up actually to York in order to fight off the, the, the army of Harold Hardrada, the King of Norway, who has come to take the throne. Uh, and he wins at the Battle of Stamford Bridge and then has to run all the way south and very winded ends up losing at, at Hastings. Poor guy. <laughs> well, we've kind of um, answered some of the – we usually end with a, you know, what's uh, – what's, why is such and such an important thing? And you've kind of done that. So I guess I'm going to change our, our final question for this segment to something slightly different. Um is there something that we haven't talked about yet that we really need to know about Brunenberg and Hastings and sort of the establishment of, of what will eventually become modern England? And what year you were born. Don't forget that. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Got to take my classes to find that out. <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the thing that is that I most would want to kind of impress on people who who don't uh, don't kind of know about about Brunenberg, for instance? They're like, I, I don't know. He just keeps using this word. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, is how seriously um, some people take it, um, because they truly do take it very seriously. I mean, I'm a, I'm a scholar of this stuff, 
And I was stunned uh, when my research first started coming out on Brunenberg, the uh, the vitriolic hate mail I got um, from people who were just unbelievably, unbelievably angry that I said it wasn't in their backyard or whatever. I mean, it was, it was really quite extraordinary. Um, it, uh, I kept I kept thinking like, you know, this wasn't yesterday. Like, you know. <laughs> Like, like you weren't there and neither were your grandparents. Like, what are you, Right. this is a thousand years ago. And yet, uh, for some people, this, this is a fight, uh, you know, where, where is it? Who gets to claim it? Um, this is a fight that, that people are really willing to get scrappy about. And, and that's something that took me by surprise for, for certain. Wow. Okay. Well, we have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI and KALA, uh, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. This program, the award-winning Relevant or Irrelevant, is heard Friday evenings at 9.30 p.m. Central Time on KALA HD2 or 106.1 FM in the Quad City area. You can listen over the air or anywhere via TuneIn.com. To hear this program and many other archived editions at any time, visit SoundCloud.com. Search for username KALA Radio. There you'll find Relevant or Irrelevant and many other productions produced at the St. Ambrose University Communications Center. This concludes our 374th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song of our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapp Savital. My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Michael Livingston, professor of English at the Citadel, who talked to us about the Battle of Brunberg. The history buff for today's show is Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.